0: Welcome to your evening, fine folks. It's almost that time where it starts getting lighter after five o'clock instead of darker, but we still have a couple more dark days left. I guess a week of them until we get to that solstice. Two tell Nijuanas 129 ESPN Missoula. Statewide, SWX Montana Television, Riley Corcoran joining me, Coulter Nuanas in studio. If you missed anything in the first hour, go check it out on the podcast. Podcast is available on Spotify, all your various podcasting platforms. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff podcast presented by Blackfoot, as well as the Wingate by Wyndham Hotel.
2: Before we get into this next segment, I, I did want to just ask how many times you're going to accidentally maybe like slip in tell's name. Because I know when you like read a copy for so long, it's oh, imprinted in your brain where you're not even thinking that Tutel and how many times, uh, we should put an over-under for 2021. Oh, man. How many times that Tutel and Nuanez slips in to the Nuanes now? Well,
0: sure. I'm going to take, I'm gonna take uh, two weeks off to end this wonderful, splendid year we've had here in 2020. Get out of here. <laughs> and uh, cleanse my soul from my my addiction to Tutel. Uh, no, I'm sure it'll slip up from time to time. And I think we're going to have to probably call him from time to time to check in on the road trip, all that. If you haven't heard the news, Ryan Tutel's leaving the show. He'll be back. Someday, at least around these parts, I don't know if he's ever going to be allowed back on the show. I mean, that shit might have sailed. Once you're out, man. Once you're out, you're <laughs> out, man. Especially if you get replaced by much more talented uh, co-hosts like Bradley No, It's not—I shouldn't say that. Gus is the man. He's—he <laughs> is. This the show man. should be you two. I should just be providing the uh, the recruiting. No,
2: that—that's false. Also, because especially going into this segment, that's what I wanted to preface for. Anything else? This is your wheelhouse, and for people that don't really understand how recruiting works and the information that's out there for college football and, and what the interest is in this state, Coulter, you crush it. I mean, you when you had this list and we were kind of doing a little bit of show prep today, it's amazing to go through, look, because you know everybody that we're going to talk about here and there's not many people that can say it. So if you are just getting in your car and tuning in, you picked a good time to do it.
0: Riley was given shameless plugs for the uh, Grizzly Radio Network as well as his uh, Inside the Den podcast. So I'm going to give a shameless... Uh Plug as well. Recruiting Central presented by Skyline Sports. Go Skyline Sports MT.com. The national signing period opens on Wednesday. Go check out Skyline Sports. We'd love for you to subscribe, but we do have some free content on there as well. And uh, any sort of engagement on that website is good for us. We've been covering the Big Sky Conference for 13 years now, and recruiting's always been our bread and butter. And uh, it, it's been crazy. I remember when I first started covering recruiting, It used to stress me out so much because there was no Twitter. There was no huddle. There was no – I mean, max preps existed, but people weren't uploading anything to it. So I was calling high school coaches, who's doing what, who's going where. How do you spell that guy's name again? What? Exactly. Give me the scoop. And uh, the way that it's uh, evolved now to where – Basically, the purveyor and the carriers of the news are the kids when they're the ones that commit on Twitter. That's kind of become the way of the world. But we've, we've just kind of become the the avenue for then more following up, finding out the stories, finding out what, what the kids are all about. But uh, this year, Riley, in Montana, it's going to be a completely different um, – well, I shouldn't say completely different. This is actually uh, somewhat similar to what they usually do, but really, really heavy on the Montana kids. I actually think that it was a pretty good fortune for both Montana and Montana State that this – Montana class was as good as Montana has produced in the last six or seven years. Was that
2: top-heavy or collective?
0: I, th- I think it's a deeper class. I don't think it is as top-heavy. You don't have a... Uh, well, I mean, I, I was going to say you don't have a, a Will Disley out there, but Dylan Rollins is going to BYU. I mean, he did have half a dozen FBS offers, which makes him the most highly recruited guy in terms of FBS stuff since Will Disley. By the way, Will Disley scored a touchdown yesterday for the CLC. Shout out Bozeman, Montana. Um, but I just think that there's more kids in this class that can that can play. I think that there's more guys that have the potential to be someday, you know, at least big sky contributors, potentially big sky starters, and some guys that maybe have potentially all big sky talent.
2: Uh, I, that's probably a good way of looking at it. When you look at also Bozeman and Missoula, uh, how fortunate the Grizzlies to have that sentinel pipeline. Exactly. I mean, to have all of that and wanting them to be Grizzlies too. I mean, there was interest on both sides of the board, but uh, when it comes to recruiting battles, I think that's what everyone is so interested in. how many times throughout the year culture, do you get the question? Well, who won the in state? Exactly. Was it the Grizz or the cats?
0: How many times do you get that question? Oh man, so much. I, I've <laughs> thought about actually giving lectures around the state and just that being the theme who won the in-state recruiting battle, because it's the number one question we get asked, but you're right, Riley. It's, um, Because of the unorthodox nature of recruiting, both these schools, both of them are expected to sign about 20. I'm sure they're going to be, give or take, maybe one more or one less on each side. But I think that Montana officially has 19 verbal commitments right now, and Montana State has 21 verbal commitments. Impressive to get that many guys in the boat. But one thing to clarify before we get into breaking down the specifics of this class— The other question that people ask me is, well, what's the scholarship situation? Because as we know at the FCS level, you can split scholarships. You can divide scholarships up. There's what they call the equivalency. So you have 63 scholarships. 85 guys can get scholarship money. 104 guys can be on your active roster. And so how do you fill in each of those blanks? How do you get to each of those numbers? And this year... We're not going to know because if you're signing 20 guys, let's say, and then everybody on your team comes back, both schools are going to have 135 to 140 guys on their roster coming into next fall since this is a zero year for all the guys that remain in the program.
2: And I felt bad from the moment that this thing started for all the high school seniors and juniors because Colts, this is going to have a trickle-down effect. It's not just a one-year thing where you have loaded rosters. And I feel for All of these guys, because they are going to be, unfairly or not, grouped into the class above them. So they're they're going to be expected or just be counted or classified as the same group that's been here for a full year. So this group will have some catching up to do. And there's a huge mix between scholarship and walk-on, too, that, you know, when you're getting in the mix of it, there is a lot of addition and subtraction that Coach Choate and Coach Halka are using to make these classes work.
0: Yeah, that's that's the case. And, but the thing is, a lot of times this stuff works itself out too. It's still my opinion, and we're going to get into this throughout the rest of the week as well, but that regardless of if there's any sort of football that's played in the spring, the most impactful football that's on the horizon is going to be played next fall. And between now and September, I believe that a lot of this stuff's going to work itself out. You never know when you have a kid graduate and just wants to go move on with his Life gets a job, whatever it might be. There could be injuries in spring ball, whether it's during spring practice or an actual spring season, that causes guys to walk away. You can have homesickness. You, you literally never know when a guy's going to walk away. So even though these programs might be oversigned by quite a bit, I think that this stuff will work itself out. I also expect the NCAA to probably expand the roster limit and adjust that equivalency for this next couple of years because I just don't think that you can have the same exact uh, stipulations when we are living through a completely unique time. And
2: I want to step it back to what you were saying at the top of this segment with where the information now is coming from the players themselves. Well, these coaches kind of had to just stop recruiting yeah. at, at a certain point once they realized where the numbers were going to be. And it was more on these players, too. How do they get their film in front of people? How do they want to be at these schools? That That is the most important thing uh, because they're the ones reaching out and. Basically, they're their own news source because in some areas, it's the only way to get stuff out there.
0: We'll get into the breakdown of who's winning this class, and I'll give you some of the battles that were uh, that ensued in, in the uh, the in-state recruiting battle. But one thing you got to understand too is that Bobby Houck is the master of optics when it comes to this sort of stuff. And so, uh, I'll say this with a caveat. A guy like Soren Sievert, who joined me on this show last week, he's an outstanding kid. I mean, super, super smart. I texted his coaches after he got off. I said, man, I want to hire that kid right now. He's so smart. He's so mature. That's the kind of kid you want in your program. He's going to be low maintenance. He wants to be a Grizz. I mean, he even talked about it on this show, saying, I don't know what position I'm going to play. I don't care. I fully expect a redshirt. I don't think I'm going to be in the mix for a couple years. I just want to grind it out and be a Grizz. I've always wanted to play for Coach Alk. That's money in the bank. But also, I think that It's a feather in the cap for the layman fan when Bobby Houck is going to get up on his press conference on Wednesday and say, hey... You know, We signed the co-Western Double-A defensive, defensive Players of the Year in Geno Leonard and Soren you know, We signed a guy that was a first-team All-State pick on both sides of the ball, Soren you know, we, we signed the Class Double-A Offensive Player of the Year in, in Camden Sermon. And, and who knows what these guys will become, but on one hand, I think it's brilliantly smart for Montana because these guys know what Missoula is all about already. They're going to be dedicated to the program, but also you can get up there on signing day and say, hey, we got this, we got that. You can pound your chest a little bit and say, hey, we got you know the double-A players of the year on both sides. And that's always a big uh, feather in the cap during recruiting season. And that's what people get excited about, right?
2: When you're grinding and you're looking into cat info, grizz info, whatever it might be, and you're trying to rank the collective class. Because I will say this, outside of about you, no one really knows. And right. to some degree... Are these guys going to pan out? We've talked a little bit. You asked me, how, how much do you follow recruiting? And I'll admit, I don't. That, I don't maybe as much as you would think someone in my position would. Because, mm-hmm. again, a lot of things change. Guys fizzle out. Everything in between. You know where these guys have been coming. I'm curious for some battles. Are we ready to get into some battles? Yeah, some battles. I- I'm curious for you. Wait, Elijah Reynolds from Red Lodge. I mean, he's a guy that's been talked about quite heavily, I would say, from both.
0: Yeah, and I think that's where, when you talk about the allotment of resources and the allotment of energy that the coaching staffs put into this thing, sometimes there's guys that are so undeniably good that even if they're leaning one way or the other, you go after them. Like, when Jesse Sims was coming out of the Bitterroot Valley, his sister Alicia, she's playing for the Lady Grizz. You know, the kid grew up 25 minutes from Missoula, so I think that you thought, okay, he's probably leaning Grizz, but the Cats still recruited him really heavily, because he's, you know, he's a three-star recruit. He got some interest from Oregon State and Nebraska and schools like that. So you go after them a little bit. And a respect factor to some yeah. degree, too. Right? For sure, right? Like when Grant Collins was at Bozeman you High. like You know, Grant Collins' dad or his grandfather teaches at Montana State. I mean, he's a Bozeman guy. But the Cats, or the, excuse me, the Grizz went after him a little bit, too. When it's the top, top, top guys, I think that those guys you go after them. So, like Jace Kluswich, for example, who's coming to Montana. He'll join us on Wednesday. A little quick hitter. You know, he grew up in Frenchtown, but uh, he, he played a senior Year at Missoula Sentinel. His dad played for the Grizz, but the Cats still recruited him hard because they knew he's a three-star guy. He's got great track times. Why not? Why not see if maybe he wants to to change the mold. Um, But you mentioned Elijah Reynolds. So here's the guys I have down as guys that were true battlegrounds. First of all, let's go through the guys that I think were were leaning one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Kenneth Iden, he did get recruited by both schools, but his dad played for the Cats. He's a Bozeman guy. He's going to the Cats. Eli Abbey from Laurel, I'm not sure he got much interest at all from the Grizz. His dad, Bart, was a grad assistant on Cliff Heisel's staff uh, and then he maybe even spent a little time with Mike Kramer in the early 2000s, but Eli Abbey, he was pretty much MSU all the way. Jace Fitzgerald, although his dad did play for the grizz back in the 90s that's a completely different story their family has gravitated way more towards the cats now with rj playing fullback for Chote and then Brindley fitzgerald played for trisha Benford for a couple years now she's a standout at montana western jace fisher the big lineman from up in troy i don't think that the grizz really sniffed him at all paul brought from billings west i mean he's the third of the brought brothers that you are think going to in montana Ex- brought bobcat boom exactly i mean luke fedek from Bozeman, I don't think he had any serious interest from the Grizz. And then on the the Grizz side of things, I, I don't know if the Cats gave much interest to Coulter Janet Carroll from Missoula Big Sky. Uh, he, you know, his brother plays for the Grizz. TJ Roush from Missoula Sentinel. His mom Ann Lake was an all time great lady Grizz. Cameron Sermon, we know about all the Sermons ties. Cy was a, a team captain, or I, I, I guess a game captain during some games last year. His da- uncle David played on the '95 national championship team. You know, Soren Siever, Gina Leonard, we mentioned them. Uh, some of these other preferred walk-ons that have committed in recent weeks sloan mcpherson from savage corby mann from whitehall dylan smith you know the lang twins from from bozeman all, all of those guys i'm not sure that they uh, got much interest from just then other than just the grizz there's an interesting one though in zach evans that one actually that one's w- intriguing to me it's super intriguing so f- backstory jeff chope played his college football at montana western in uh dylan in the late 1980s I didn't understand how big of an advantage that was gonna be until we've seen the recruiting come to fruition. What did Western specialize in for so long? Education, what do so many coaches go into education. Yep. So many guys that went into education and then went into coaching, then got jobs at all the Montana high schools. Choate has this network. When you talk about, first of all, you played for Mick Denny and Mick Delaney, that makes your network just grow exponentially. Cause though, between those two guys, they know everybody in freaking Montana. <laughs> yes. And then you talk about BJ Robertson, who was at Western for a long time. And then Brian Armstrong, the offensive line coach at Montana State, So they have all these Western ties. So they have this in at so many different high schools. Well, uh, at Jeff Choate's introductory press conference in December of 2015, Scott Evans was there. As And Scott Evans was one of Jeff Choate's best friends. They played together at Montana Western. And I think that that's why this is so intriguing because then Troy Arnston steps down. Uh, Tony Arnston, excuse me, Troy's son. Tony Arnston steps down after 20-plus years at Helena High. Scott Evans takes over at Helena High, and he's got two boys coming up, one of whom is expected to sign with the Grizz tomorrow, and the other one's a junior. He's going to be one of the better players in the class next year. So I thought those guys were surefire Bobcats. I'm not really sure what the backstory is. That's what something I'm going to ask Cho because Zach Evans is coming to the Grizzlies.
2: And that would be one, I wonder if he'd play off or if he actually is a little bit peeved that that happened because, I mean, when you go through it, I love the stories. You know me, I'm a storyline guy. So when we were going through it, I should say when you had this list formed and you just see, okay. Kenneth Iden. Dad played for the Cats, easy, he was dominating, he's from Bozeman, Broad. but to have the one outlier, I would say is Evans, the rest are pretty much predictable, or maybe not, predictable wouldn't be the right word, just I'm not surprised by him, other than Evans, Um, but you switch gears, and that, that leads us to a couple, when it is the battle kids, and we were talking about it, and do you want to go like, do you want to Put them up against each other a little bit, Coulter. Here, yeah.
0: There. So, so here's here's kay. here's the game like the kids that I thought w- were received some pretty good battle from each side. Elijah Reynolds, but that was actually a pretty short recruiting process because he actually committed in December of his junior year. So he's a big tight end from Red Lodge. You know the Grizz did express some interest. I'm not sure if they actually ever pulled the trigger offering though because he committed so early to the Cats. Kate Cutler, I know for a fact uh, the the standout from Flint Creek who led his team to the third state championship in four years there with the Titans. Uh, he's actually from Peaburg, but that's the Drummond-Phillipsburg co-op. I know he got recruited on both sides. I know that Mike Cutler, who actually played at Western, so there's another Western connection for you, but I know Mike Cutler Has a long standing relationship with Coach Houck as well. I know that both Montana and Montana State wanted Cade Kettler, so that was a good uh, commitment for Montana State. And then Neil Daly from Billings West, he actually spent his, he grew up in Missoula, and he actually could have been on that Missoula Sentinel team, but uh, his dad got a job and he moved to Billings West, and so uh, he spent his last two years at West, but he commits to the Cats. Wouldn't have been that I wouldn't have been surprised if he would have wanted to come with some of his old buddies at the Grizz. But those are the three that I think that the cats won in terms of both sides recruiting the kid. Uh, th- this is not an evaluation of who's better, though. Those are just the ones that committed to the Cats, even though they got recruited by both sides. On the Grizz side, Kellen Dietrich from Haver, James Kuswich from Sentinel, and Jake Olson from Butte are the, kind of the three guys. So then, when you ask the question, "Okay, who is winning the in-state recruiting battle?" Okay, well, then you look at a Eliza- lot. So
2: hold on, we're on like we're on like step five here, of break, right, which right, I love because right. now
0: we've gotten okay. Here were the
2: the surefire ones. Here was this, and that, but now. We're getting to the nitty gritty. Basically what we're telling you folks is it's, or what Coulter is telling you, it's pretty close. I mean, both went and got, you know, they, they felt, they filled needs for sure, but let's get down to the bottom. I'm just making sure that everybody's fault. This is five degrees of separation here. I love it. So let's get
0: it down. So you look at Elijah Reynolds and Jake Olson. I think those two guys are kind of similar molds, big, strong, raw, tight ends. Okay. So you got one going to each side. I think you call it a draw. You look at Kellen Dietrich and Neil Daly. These two guys kind of cut from the same cloth, too. Kellen Dietrich, he runs really well. He's strong. He's long. He's lean. He's about 6'3", 215. He could play like that stand-up outside linebacker that the Grizz have, uh, or he could play a little bit of a defensive end depending on how big he gets. Same thing for Neil Daly. In the Cats, odd man front, Neil Daly looks just like that buck end that Choate likes. Those two guys have such similar specs. And so you talk about who won that one. Well, Dietrich's the more heralded recruit in terms of being a three-star guy. He did have a little bit, a a few more offers but I've told people this coming out of that state championship game in Billings a couple weeks ago before between Missoula Sentinel and Billings West I mean Dylan Rollins is a three-star guy he had six FBS offers Jace Kluswatch is a three-star guy he had a bunch of uh, FBS interest and he had a handful of offers as well but I thought the guy with the highest athletic upside he's not the best player right now but the highest athletic upside in that game was Neil Daly he is uh multiple-time state medalist in the 200 meters. He's a multiple-time state medalist in the high jump, so he has that twitchy, natural athleticism. Right now, he's super raw. He's a long ways away from doing it, but I just think his frame is so good. That said, I haven't seen Kellen Dedrick in person, so I think that those two guys kind of cut from the same cloth too. And then you look at that last battle, Jace Kluswich and Cade Cutler. On one end, Kluswich proved it at the AA level. Um, He was first-team All-State, both sides of the ball, as well as a returner. I'm so interested to see what side of the ball he ends up in. He's slated to play defense for Montana. He's not very big, but... The Grizz strong safety right now is not very big either. And Robbie houck has got about 300 tackles in the last two years, so uh, that spot uh, you could—it's been proven that you can play that spot even if you are undersized. And Kluswich, I mean, he's got real deal speed. He ran a 4:48 at the Ohio State camp. He was different.
2: I mean, when, when you saw yeah. him on the field, he had that that quick first step. It, it was different than other guys at yeah. that level.
0: And Cade Cutler—it's going to be a huge transition for him coming from eight man to the Big Sky Conference. That said. We've seen guys, particularly from that area, from Drummond Phillipsburg, that have done it. He's a ranch kid. His old man is his coach. He works hard. I think he's going to put his nose to the grindstone. And physical development-wise, I mean, he's right there. He's a lot bigger than Switch too. But I think that you do give the Grizz a little bit of an edge just because Switch was so highly recruited. So when you ask me who's winning this class, man, I think it's about as dead even as I've ever seen because I do think that the the blue chippers in this thing, I think that uh, Aiden is going to be a really good one for the Cats. I think he's he, he's money. Um, I think that Clue Switch is going to be pretty darn good for the Grizz. If it was me, I would play him on offense. I think he's a better player with the ball in his hands. I, he's elusive. He's not as as uh, lightning deadline fast as Gabe Sulcer, but he's he's quicker.
2: I see him more as your dynamic special teams sure. guy that plays defense but i mean absolutely i could see it down the road and as he develops but that would be my first initial take maybe
0: yeah i wanna... I, I just i'm so interested to see what safety spot they want to play him at because as we know in this grizz defense it's a three safety look most of the time
2: and they're mostly different spots they're I are definitely mean, different, different yeah. spots
0: if he was playing like that that rover type nickel spot that josh sandry yep. was playing where you have to use your ball skills and stuff like that I, honestly josh sandry deserves so much credit for what he did because Josh Sandry's body type and the way he plays football was to be the run-the-alley guy like Robbie Houck's position was. But Sandry sacrificed because Houck is as good at running the alley as anybody in the league. And Sandry was maybe played a little bit out of position, guarding slots and stuff, but he ended up learning that spot really well and he got by on his savvy and his ball skills. But that's a spot that I think Kluswich can really play because he's got that speed.
2: I think the next level analysis is just that. Because you understand the positions of where these guys are going to be slotted in. Does it suit their skill strengths? And, I mean, Robbie, how the cerebral player, really, and the quarterback of the defense, which one of these guys maybe can slide into that. Clue which, I think the upside is incredible when it comes to what he can do and what safety spot they want to put him at. For you, this has to be fascinating, though, because you cover these guys From the beginning of their high school careers, I'm going to put you on the spot. We didn't talk about this pre-show, but who would you say are some of the best stories that you followed as a Montana kid? all the way at the beginning where you're like, okay, he could maybe play for the Cats of the Grizz someday. And then to see their career flourish. Are there a couple names that immediately come to mind as some of the best stories you've seen? go uh, Guys to that have
0: actually made it to college already yeah. that have actually finished their college careers. Man, well, I think that right now for the Grizz, one of the best stories is Jace Lewis. I love Jace Lewis coming out of Towson High School. Um, I, I think that, I guess it's Broadwater County or whatever, but um, I thought he was an absolute winner. I thought he. I mean, he did everything. He's one of those small school guys where he's playing quarterback. He's playing every single position on defense. Garrett Graves is another guy for the Mm Grizz that I think is in a similar mold. And the thing that's so good about those type of kids is there's kids are always going to tell you, "Hey, I'll play wherever the team wants me to." But a lot of times you can't because you never have. Garrett Graves literally played defensive end, inside linebacker, outside linebacker, safety, and corner during his time at Eureka. He can actually play. And him, they
2: right? put him in the quarterback room right. in, in Missoula too. But
0: then, he play, then he's yeah. playing receiver, and now he's yeah. playing defense. He actually can do it. That's why a guy like Cade Cutler could be so dynamic because Cade Cutler has literally lined up at every spot on the field. I know it's just eight man, but uh, that's going to be a place where I think that those kind of kids, they can thrive. As far as the Cats go, man, there's been some there's been some good ones. I mean, I remember... You know Tucker Yates coming out of coal strip. I've said this on the show many times, but if I was a coach, and I know that the the early signing period here actually kind of screws up this ambition, but if I was a coach, I would sit there at the uh, all class wrestling tournament, and I would just recruit my butt off. If you're the state champion if you're a multiple time heavyweight champion wrestler, I'll figure out a way to get you in my program. You're gonna work. You'll figure it out. If you know how to play any sort of football. And I remember when Tucker Yates, he won his third straight class B state championship as a heavyweight with a torn peck. And he pinned the guy with one arm basically. And I- This guy was getting—he was getting like a little money from the cats and none from the Grizz. And I was like, "What? How do you not want this guy? Oh, he's too short. He can't run. Who cares? He's six foot, two hundred eighty pounds, and he's a little short plug. And he's one of the meanest dudes on the planet. Uh, Those type of guys, I think, are, are the guys that I think Montana lost its way in recruiting for a little while." And I think they're back to it full force because Bobby Halk was basically one of the, I, sh- I wouldn't say created that, but definitely maximized it during his first stint here. And Jeff Choate knows all about that. I mean, he, he, that's what they're, both these programs are actually so similar in their ability to identify guys that they can develop. So I think that there's a lot of great stories. I mean, a lot of them on Canada Kids, just in general, are great stories.
2: And, and I didn't mean to do that to leave anybody out, but those are the first ones that come to mind. So they're int- intriguing to me. Another question that a lot of people would have that you would have the answer to as well, the guys that do come from small schools, mm-hmm. eight man, six man, class B. And, and we always ask that question. Well, can they do it at the next level? I don't know. That's a pretty big, ta- that's a pretty big talent gap to try and jump. What are some of the, the biggest factors that you see, like with the small school guys or, or the biggest challenges they have to overcome if they want to compete at the big sky division one level.
0: Two one Nuanas, one, two nine ESPN, Missoula, Riley Corcoran, voice of the Grizz joining me, Colter Nuanas in studio. Um, I, I, Both programs now, under Jeff Choate and Bobby Houck, they both are based upon the development of in-state guys more than any other thing. That's their foundation. That's their bread and butter. The way that they do it, though, is, is largely different. If you go to a fall camp at Montana State, Montana State's out on the grass. They got the four fields going on. Literally every person in the program gets reps for the first month of the year. You're going ones, twos, threes, fours, and even sometimes fives. And it's not necessarily scout versus number one. It's like you're going the first string's having a competition, the second string on down the line, but dudes are getting reps all the time. So you're you're getting thrown in the fire. You may may have never played a snap of of 11-man football, but you're playing outside linebacker right now. Show me what you can do. How can you absorb it? How can you accelerate it? So you're going to get the reps. Bobby Houck, he makes you climb the ladder incrementally. They do that same thing during fall camp where they spread out all over the place, but you've seen it. The first 45 minutes of a Bobby Houck fall camp practice is the exact same as it was in 2003 as it is today. Individual circuits, tackling, ripping through blockers. Show me you can cover a kick. Show me what your toughness level is at. you got pretty much everybody on the team carrying the ball, running through the ropes, doing all sorts of different things. But you gotta climb the ladder. But if you just bring the toughness right away, Coach Alco will figure out a way then to put you in a position for you to prove it to him. Cover this kick. Cover this guy. You know, do an Oklahoma drill, meet you in the hole. And so I think that it, it gives kids opportunities and they they make the learning curve less steep for the guys from small schools by challenging the intangible elements of football first and then developing the skill part, the savvy, you know, the operation part, after they prove that they, hey, they, they belong in this program because of the toughness they can hit. The
2: difference in even the fall camp details yeah. is fascinating and because it goes to show you, again, priorities one way or another. Final note I always had, too, for you, regional pipelines. And yep. what, have you, what have you seen both staffs kind of migrate towards or consistent themes from... Coach Choate, Coach Hawk, what do you see? What would you recognize as like a regional pipeline?
0: Well, and that's the thing is fans always want to obsess over Montana, and I get why. Half the roster is going to be made up of Montana kids. They're the heart and soul in the program. They are the kids that are going to go from walk-on to All-American. We've seen it over and over and over again. It's one of the best parts about covering these two schools. But you have to have the secondary supplementary pipelines. Rob Ash struck gold when he found this Texas pipeline and he rode that to get guys like Denarius McGee and Jody Owens up to Bozeman and they won three straight uh, Big Sky Conference championships by doing it. The place where I thought, you know, doing this 1995 National Championship revision podcast, because Don Reed, Jerome Sowers, Robin Flugrad, all these guys are from Oregon. They owned Oregon. They were getting guys, not just that you know, there there's there was no real other option besides Oregon and Oregon State, but they were even beating guys for Oregon State at that point, and even getting some transfers from Oregon State. So you got to find that secondary pipeline. Well, the secondary pipeline that I thought Montana lost its way that was so good under Coach Out the first time that they lost their way and was in Eastern Washington, and Eastern Washington itself, Eastern Washington University, capitalized on that big time. Everybody talks about Eastern Washington skill players and all the guys they get from the west side of the mountains with the receivers and the corners and everybody. It's the east side where you get all those linemen though, and that's what the most underrated part of Eastern Washington. To have six quarterbacks that win Big Sky. Guy- Offensive player of the year You got to keep them upright They always had the dudes From Colfax And Colton And you know All the Big old farm boys Exactly All the farm them. boys And those guys There's that's That part of the world Is so much like Montana So those guys can fit in Over here So Montana's gone back In full force over there I know not so much In this recruiting class Although they are pulling Ben McGoring out of Cheney Which is a good get His older brother Jacob Plays for the Grizz their dad actually played at Eastern Washington, so it's good to go over there and pull uh, him out of enemy territory, so to speak. But then um, the Bobcat side of things, Idaho has great prep football, particularly southern Idaho. Boise, Pocatello, there's good prospects there. The Mountain West recruits the hell out of that mm-hmm. place. Well, Jeff Choate's been able then to go into some of those suburbs of Boise because of his uh, connections to from Boise State schools like Rocky Mountain High School and Meridian, um, schools like Mountain View High School. Those schools have given a lot of players to Montana State. Uh, I mean, I think they have, what, two starting offensive linemen from that area. So, mining the places where you already have preconceived connections, I think that has been a good thing. And we'll see. We'll see what sort of other pipelines can be opened up. But it seems to me that both staffs are gravitating a little bit away from California. In my opinion... I think that's a great thing. I think if you're getting kids from California, you can get some elite kids, but you got to get the right type of personalities because so many of these kids are coming from programs where everybody that they played with are going to the Power Five. So then they're sitting here thinking, well, why am I not at UCLA? Why am I not at USC? When you need kids that want to be at Montana, you're going to get kids that love being at Montana from Montana, from Idaho, from Washington, from Oregon. So I think that both these uh, programs, they've opened up pretty darn good uh, pipelines as we enter Bobby Howick's third year, Jeff Choate's fifth year. That was
2: fascinating, by the way, going through all all of that. And I want to just close on one note with all of it. When you talk about getting out of state guys and, and having them committed here to wanting to be at Montana, Montana State, I think you can throw North Dakota State in that mix as well in the sense of what makes FCS Powers How do you become an FCS power? You get guys that are maybe next-level talent that are committed to being at a place and not worried about all the other outside factors. So, in a broad scope, it all kind of ties back together, especially with the out-of-state and and who you get to come here. But, man, I know I'll be reading Skyline on Wednesday, Coulter, when I'm in uh, in Seattle with men's
0: basketball. A lot of work. Riley Corker joining me, Coulter Nuwana's NFL after this.
2: Connections are what bring us together. Whether halfway around the world or in the office next door, Blackfoot Communications is proud to provide next-generation network infrastructure that enables reliable, secure, and always-on connections. From SD-WAN and firewalls to business voice and fiber, our solutions connect you to your community. Visit blackfootbusiness.com or call 406-541-5000 to learn more. Blackfoot. Connect to more.
0: Back in the saddle, Tutel tell No two-tell. His last day is Thursday. I know you're counting down the days to wish him goodbye. But Riley Corcoran, Voice of the Grizz, in studio with me, Colter Nuanes. Check out the website, 1029ESPN.com. There you're going to find the podcast tab. You can go there to subscribe to our 2 and Nuwana's podcast, our Grizz Greats podcast, and you can also find information on giveaways and things like that. You can also go to SkylineSportsMT.com for all your up-to-date Big Sky Conference news. You want to get us on social media? Facebook, backslash ESPN Missoula, or on Twitter, at 1029ESPN, at MT and Riley Corcoran. He's at Voice of the Grizz. That's easy to remember. We talk a little bit of NFL. It's a big NFL day, as it always is, but a lot of uh, favorites favored road teams this week, and most of them took care of business. But first and foremost, we are the officials affiliates of the Seattle Seahawks here in Western Montana. It's got to start the Seahawks game. They drilled the Jets. I don't even remember what the final score was. I think 40-3 was Correct. what it ended up being. Uh, but, I mean, the Jets are just such a train wreck. After losing that game to the Raiders, I don't know how they get it back on track.
2: What was more fascinating, the fourth quarter of the Seahawks-Jets or the second half of the Grizz and Yellowstone Christian on Saturday?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I was enjoying watching the Grizz actually go through their, uh, their, set, their offensive sets and just learn a little bit about them. But uh, I got a question for you. I got Two questions for you. First of all, the Jets, I mean, seem like they're fast tracking towards the number one pick. That seems like it's going to be Trevor Lawrence. But my question is, does that even solve any of your problems? Because I don't. I think Sam Darnold is so far down the list of what the Jets' problems are.
1: I,
2: I'm with you, and it's very clear to me what the Jets are doing. When you go cover zero and all-out blitz on a Hail Mary from the Raiders a couple weeks ago, you're trying to lose. You are trying to get the number one pick when there's a surefire, no doubt, number one pick in Trevor Lawrence. And my money is on that they're trying to go get Dabo Sweeney to bring him over with him. So Ooh. that's what I think Ooh. the Jets are trying to do. You got a surefire, number one pick, bring the head Coach with him. I think that's the method to the madness. But you're right in the sense the Jets have way bigger problems. I mean, I, I think what's so fascinating about the, the NFL is year by year it shifts where there's a team that my gosh, they come out of nowhere and they're good. And the the spell for most teams, you're not bad for very long. The Jets have a, a very dim future. I, I they I mean how are you gonna get to, how are you gonna protect Trevor Lawrence? How are you going to protect anyone? Jets have a huge problem on their hands, but I still think Trevor Lawrence, Dabo, Sweeney. I'm going to speak that one into existence.
0: What's your take on the Seattle Seahawks? Now they're 9-4. and four. They're not in the driver's seat for the NFC West because the Rams had a big win yesterday, but they're still right there in the playoff picture. They were so hot early. All of their weaknesses that we knew that they had from the very beginning of the season have been subsequently exploited, but they seem like they've been able to shore up the dam a little bit. Carlos Dunlap coming back to full health will be key because they have to be able to rush the passer. I think that the most telling statistic of the Seattle Seahawks season is that Jamal Adams had a sack on Sunday, giving him eight and a half sacks this season, which is the record for a defensive back in a single season. But that's where they're at. They're having to use their strong safety to rush the passer. So there's a variety of opinions on the seattle seahawks here in western montana as a team that people follow fervently are you uh let Russ cook and they he might cook them all the way to the super bowl or are you skeptical of the seahawks
2: i'm very skeptical of the seahawks do we trust seattle do we at all and let me just run through these wins for you okay the falcons the patriots the cowboys the dolphins that's one winning team the vikings the 49ers and the Eagles. They beat one team with a winning record this entire year. I, I think that, yeah, you let Russ cook to some degree, but what that, what's that going to get you? Maybe one win in the playoffs. I, I don't, this isn't a team culture that is built for three straight road wins, because that's what they're going to have to do if they don't win the division. They're going to have to go on the road and win. Can they win one game? Yes. The only reason why they can win one game, they're going to go play at the NFC East champion. Right. So they can maybe go win a game at Washington, New sure. York, or Philly, but... I, this this team's not built to win multiple games in the playoffs. I, I don't see to do you. I don't, I don't see. at
0: all. I, I, I think that the Chiefs broke everybody's brains because they were able to just outscore everybody at will on the way to the Super Bowl last year. But at the end of the day, no matter how much the offensive evolution of the NFL has taken place completely you still have to be able to run the ball, stop the run and rush the passer if you want to live in the if you want to win in the playoffs. Period. And I don't think the Seahawks can stop they they're okay at stopping the run. They're terrible at rushing the passer unless they're dialing up all sorts of crazy blitzes. But then again, if you get to that scenario in the playoffs, you go run all these crazy blitzes against Aaron Rodgers. Good luck. You go run them against Drew Brees if he comes back. Good luck. They're going to slice and dice you. So I'm with you. I think that the uh, I think the Seahawks are vulnerable to say the least. And you know I always argue when we're talking about favorites and things like that can you actually win the conference and i've been arguing all year no the seahawks cannot just because they make the playoffs that's just the team that they've been since their last super bowl run when they went two years in a row ever since then they're in in the playoffs and they're either one and done or they win one playoff game and then they go lose to a superior team to me it's not a bad place to be stuck in i think a lot of franchises would be very happy to be quote unquote stuck in that situation but they're still stuck compared to what some of the other real Super Bowl contenders are in the NFL.
2: Well, this is crazy, but this is the nature of the beast when it comes to the NFL. The window is already closing for Russ in the sense of you have to... If you're planning out and you're a GM, you're planning out, okay, we have X amount of good years left for our franchise quarterback. How do we put the pieces around him to make him successful? What does Seattle need to do? I mean, because what, what are we down to with Russ? I know we're jumping all over the place. He's but, 32. Right. So how many good... like. Good years where he's at his peak right now. How many more does he have left? Two it, or
0: three? Well, it depends on if, how much they invest in the offensive line. I think that the reason you're seeing Aaron Rodgers uh, be a, a front runner for MVP at 37 is because Green Bay has one of the best offensive lines in football. I know Drew Brees got hurt, but the Saints have still invested in the offensive line. Yeah, Tom Brady at 42 is still... He's still performing, and but so much of it is the offensive line, and that's I mean every time, every week when I'm going through the lines and making my picks, you got to look at the injury report for the offensive line because the the strength overall and and the health is going to be so key to uh, your success playing quarterback. Two Nuanas, Riley Corcoran joining me, Coulter Nuwanas, in studio. More NFL right after this. Welcome back, Tutel Nuanas, Ryan Tutel. His last week was supposed to be last week. It's now this week, but it's not going to be all week. It's just going to be on Thursday. Coulter Nuanas has got a bunch of guest hosts lined up for you all week, including Riley Corcoran, voice of the Grizz, joining me today. Tomorrow, I have Mike Nugent from the Grizz Fan Podcast, as uh, well as a friend of the show. Showing off his chops, talk a little more recruiting, and maybe get into some uh, Jimmy Garoppolo talk. He's a big San Francisco 49ers fan. Wednesday, National Sign Day. Got Bobby Huck, Jeff Cho, both lined up for you. Thursday, Two Tells last day, so we'll send him off in the sunset. Friday, Ty Gregorak, former defensive coach for both Montana and Montana State, stopping by the studio to take us home. Rally and I talking some NFL. And uh, let's get back into it, Riley. First of all, over the weekend, I think we got a little bit more clarity. I think we can say officially Patriots, 49ers, Vikings, they're all dead. Somehow the Raiders and the Cardinals, they still hang by a thread. The Eagles bench Carson Wentz. Jalen Hurts is the man now there in Philly. I don't know what they're going to do this offseason after signing to Carson Wentz to that big contract. But if, Philly, if Jalen Hurts leads Philly in that division title, that's going to be an interesting deal. Last night, I thought the Bills reaffirmed themselves as a true contender to win the AFC with a big win over the Steelers. But the game I want to talk to you about is the game that is kicking off here in about 40 minutes. The Baltimore Ravens versus the Cleveland Browns. The Ravens, early, were one of my AFC favorites. I think that they have one of the best defenses in the league they could run the ball better than anybody in the league, but somehow a lot of that went by the wayside. They've had more injuries than almost anybody in football. I don't think it's gotten as much play as teams like the 49ers have, but their injuries have been significant, particularly on their defense. They've had guys from Clayes Campbell to Brandon Williams to Patrick Queen to Marlon Humphrey to, I mean, I think that 10 of their 11 opening day defensive stars have been at least questionable on in the injury report, if not missing time. And then, bam, they get hit with coronavirus and Lamar Jackson's out. Mark Andrews is out. Mark Ingram is messed up. J.K. Dobbins is messed up. I mean, on down the line, they're pretty much every impactful player on their team has been either hurt, sick, or both. But you think that the Ravens despite playing a nine-win Cleveland Browns team that have been one of the hottest teams in the league, are big favorites tonight.
2: I think they're going to roll them. I do. I, I think the Ravens are a team that the NFL is an overreaction league. We overreact. That the truth? We overreact to game results, in and out. Look at the broad scope of it for the Ravens. You, you just highlighted all of the issues they've had to go to, go through. Well, the losses or that losing streak they had, Just consider the opponent in the margin, okay? They lost to the Steelers by four. They lost to the Patriots in a ridiculous monsoon that you really throw everything out the window on that by six. They lost to a good Titans team by six. And to the Steelers again on the road depleted by injuries by five. So they've lost four games by six points or less to all basically contenders. And you look at the schedule on the way out. Browns, Jags, Giants, Bengals. That's set up for a 4-0 and run, momentum, health into the playoffs, and don't tell me you want to face John Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson off of a four-game winning streak, and you're sitting and have to play them
0: in the playoffs. I'm all in. One of the most annoying parts about the national narrative around the NFL is just the constant over-criticizing of quarterbacks. There's guys right now out there making a career off of saying that Josh Allen sucks. He doesn't suck. Get over it. Like, he might be sporadic. He might make some mistakes. He's also got one of the biggest arms in the league. And if you watch, if you follow their team in depth, he's no question one of the best leaders in the NFL. Those guys rally around him. To me, if you're going to have that style of football team, having a tough-minded quarterback like the Bills have, like the Titans have, you need to have that guy who can be a leader that the defensive guys respect. That's my question for you, though. Where are you at with Lamar Jackson? Because the national media is sitting here just skewering this guy. Lamar Jackson's regressed. Lamar Jackson can't throw. Everybody figured out Baltimore. Baltimore sucks. They're never going to be able to do anything until Lamar Jackson figures it out. I don't buy it. I think Lamar Jackson has slightly regressed, but more I think that the league has a formula for Lamar Jackson. But more importantly, Ronnie Stanley, their all-pro left tackle, has been out. Orlando Brown's been out. I mean, they have multiple injuries on the offensive line, so to me I don't think it's nearly the – dramatic uh, exaggeration of Lamar Jackson's regression.
2: I said, I'm with you. I agree with that. Overreaction league for the NFL and an adjustment league for the NFL. These coaches adjust. Yes, in year one, Lamar had the upper hand and so did Harbaugh and the Ravens. Year two, a couple teams have adjusted. Again, they went through one rough stretch. But broad scope, I still think he's going to figure out. It's very easy and lazy to just go, well, Lamar Jackson is a below average Passer. Like, as far as his accuracy is concerned. Well, yeah, no kidding. We knew that coming in. That's not a strength sure. of his game. So to just pile on that is just. And who's just, he throwing it to? Yeah, exactly. Can you name one? Baltimore, can you name a couple Baltimore wide receivers, tight ends? No, I can't. Not, I, Mark Andrews. Exactly. He's a tight end, a safety valve. Besides that, we can't. Exactly. So you can't. Attack Lamar Jackson for leadership qualities you know I mean it's hard to compare him to a Josh Allen because I think Josh Allen's elite at that you just look at the special maybe that they did on Stephon Diggs and wanting to come play with the Josh Allen and how they have kind of bonded that was a great piece I saw over the weekend but I think the overreaction here to Lamar Jackson is uh Extremely just uh, biased, at least right now, and I'm I'm not a big fan of it. I'm, I'm still on board for the Ravens. You just want when we're doing this show in January, we're talking Ravens playoffs, and they're on a four-game winning streak. We'll remember this conversation. No
0: question. You asked me off air who my dark horse yes, was. Yes, I'm curious. Washington football team. Wow. Okay. Washington football team I think has gotten more. They've improved more over the last month than almost anybody in the league and if they win that division and get in, we'll see because they, they they can they're dedicated to run the ball and they can rush the passer.
2: And would the Seahawks hate that matchup or what? Oh because that gosh. right as of right now, that'd be your first round matchup. Seahawks at a red hot Washington football team. I
0: mean, I know the, the Niners have been decimated by injury and they've been uh, having a disappointing season, but I thought that in that performance by the Washington football team yesterday was impressive. They the Niners are tough, even if they're missing guys, and the Washington football team matched that level of toughness. Chase Young's a real deal, man. He's as good as it gets.
2: Four game winning streaks. You know what's funny about that? I didn't realize it because I haven't looked at the matchups yet. This week, Seahawks Redskins. Or was Seahawks man, Washington
0: football team. I say. That is gonna be fascinating, fascinating. Miss anything on the show, check it out on the podcast, one two nine ESPN.com, as well as all your podcasting platforms. You don't have to miss him. This is going to be a regular thing. After the new year, expect Riley Corcoran, voice of the Grizz, on this show at least once a week, and probably a lot more than that. Tomorrow, Mike Nugent joining us. as Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now. If you visit msubookstore.org, free regalia. When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day, visit on campus or at msubookstore.org.